Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. We appreciate it as we head into a last weekend of May, as a matter of fact, after a short work week. Uh, interesting stuff and interesting times. We've had a really uh, big week of hard news, hard stories uh, to listen to, and we've got a provincial election coming up. Andrea Horvath, NDP leader, joins us for a chat heading into next Thursday's voting day, and we'll be all over that on 640 Toronto. Anthony Housefather on the show as well, Liberal MP, about Bill 96 in Quebec and the decision and the influence, to some extent, of the Canadian federal government in cancelling uh, Canada Soccer's decision to play Iran in a friendly match this summer to get both teams ready for the World Cup in Qatar in November. This one has a lot of layers to this story, so Anthony and I will uh, will go through some of that uh, as we roll along. It's the Toronto Today podcast, and it starts now. There is a uh, a dead man uh, in the Scarborough area. This happened Thursday afternoon, and we don't know his name, and we don't know his age. And I'd ask the question, should we? By this point in time. And you might think, why do we need to know? Why do we need to know? It James Raymer, the police chief, said there's no threat to the public. Well, that's good. I would want to know if there was a threat to the public. I would want to know that. I'd rather know than not know if the public is being threatened. I'm part of that public, so are you. But if you're like, why do we need to know the name and the age? Why shouldn't we know? Do you have a better reason for the latter question than the former question? I bet you you don't. And we know less than we do more about the uh, potential uh, assailant, if you will, carrying a gun up and down the street. He was described as pacing. We get pacing when we get nervous. Pacing kind of implies we're not sure if we should do something or not. Maybe you're excited pacing, like you can't wait to go on a first date, can't wait to meet somebody for lunch, can't wait to go um, to the Blue Jays game or the Leafs game or the Toronto FC game, whichever it is. But that's not what was happening yesterday afternoon at the corner of Lawrence Avenue East and Port Union Road. I'll let the particulars be explained that we know of from uh, a few clips, including the Chief James Raymer. And then I've got thoughts, and I will tie this in properly and directly to what happened in Texas on Tuesday. I don't think it influenced the reaction of the cops here in Toronto. I don't think it did at all. And I'm not sure they've done anything wrong. But the longer and the longer we go and the less people know about why they did what they did, the more questions get raised. That seems fairly obvious to me. Here's a uh, SIU spokesperson. I don't remember her name and it didn't get put up on the Chiron when I took it off uh, the screen last night. But she explains the incident. Toronto Police Service received a number of phone calls about a man with what appeared to be a firearm. And they responded at about 1.35 this afternoon. And there was an interaction involving the man and two police officers. And those two police officers discharged their firearms. And the man was struck. And the man was pronounced deceased at the scene. At this time, the SIU has not yet identified the man. So I don't have an age or a name um, at this time. But I will be able to loop back, um, hopefully, um, later on once we know more. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we'll get it via a leak. By the afternoon today, but it shouldn't have to come that way. It shouldn't have to filter out. We shouldn't have to ask more questions than fewer questions about what this incident was. That there was a school in the area and they locked it down. I heard a phone caller to a radio show say his five-year-old daughter was under a desk for one hour. Why would she make that up? She probably has a, a pretty set uh, knowledge of of time. I don't think she's thinking, well, it felt like an hour, but it was really only six minutes. And if anything, six minutes is too long. 
causes trauma to a five-year-old. We talked on the show yesterday about many of these drills. Um, I'm not sure we should do them. I'm sure we. I'm sure about one thing is that we need more security in schools in the United States, not less security. Not just more security per se, but we need uh, more, not fewer, police, and they should be armed, and they should have more authority than they do right now. And I'll explain some of that in a little bit. Sounds like you want to live in a police state, Brady. Well, I want to live in a police protected state. Yes, I do. I do at that point in time. And I want more communication, not less communication with authorities to the rest of us. And that's what we're lacking in this situation in the GTA right now. Here's James Raymer explaining the situation to the media yesterday. There is no threat to public safety, okay? Uh, so at approximately 1 p.m. this afternoon, the Toronto police responded to persons of a with a gun in the area of Maberly Crescent and Oxhorn Road. Officers immediately responded, and as a precaution, a nearby school went into lockdown. Police were confronted by an individual, and because the circumstances that followed are now the subject of an SIU investigation, I'm prohibited from discussing further what occurred. Due to the proximity to a school, I certainly understand the trauma and how traumatic this must have been for staff, students, and parents, given the recent uh, events that have happened in the United States. Yeah, I'd say there'd be some trauma to it, no doubt about it. And though the uh, the, the deceased was carrying a BB gun, I'm sorry, the cops have a responsibility to say, hey, drop the BB gun. And when he doesn't, they have a responsibility to protect not just themselves, but the community. You have to know, okay? We have to have an element of a minimum of responsibility if we're a human being and we understand the circumstances. Are you looking for trouble? Well, you'll find it if you're walking up and down a street carrying what looks like a gun. Even if it's not a gun, the cops tell you to drop the gun and you don't. I know what happens to me. You know what happens to you. You know it only ends one way. Badly, not goodly. Okay? Uh, Raymer continued on to document the impact that this has had on the community, the influence of the events in the United States. I don't want to speculate and, and suggest that it's something similar to what's happened in the United States. And I'll reiterate again. We don't, we, there, there is no threat to public safety. Okay, so uh, let's keep that in mind. And, and, and again, I, I just want to make sure that we're not speculating at this point because we just, we certainly don't know. But let's face it, as, as a police agency with all our partners in policing, we are aware of world events. We continually monitor those world events and uh, we work to take um, uh, proactive action where necessary we can. So a BB gun was recovered at the scene, whether Raymer, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting Raymer didn't know that at the given time when he spoke. This was around, this audio is around three o'clock yesterday afternoon, but they found a BB gun at the scene, not a rifle. To me, lacks relevance whatsoever. You have something that looks like a gun. I don't care if it's a black water pistol. You confront police with said gun, which is alleged to have happened. You don't drop said gun, which is alleged to have happened. Guess what will happen? What happened yesterday will happen and probably should happen. I'm sorry. I, I don't have any, any tolerance for the argument to the other. I don't at this particular point in time. Then we go south of the border and we talk about the influence there. I mean, we should know more than less later today about why this incident happened. And we should know more, know more about the name and the age of the person that was shot dead yesterday. 
He's a person also. He's an individual also. We have a right to know who he is. His friends and family and relatives have a right to know who he is. And I'm sure we will at a certain point in time. Meanwhile, yesterday, um, I found this really intriguing. There was a bit of a call out um, by one of the uh, one of the reporters on the scene to Texas police. Why? They're not getting the proper information they need. Why? There's a suggestion that cops waited. We told you yesterday on the show 40 minutes, maybe longer than that, to go into the elementary school in Evaldi. Shimon Prokopez is a reporter for CNN on the scene, and he asked the uh, provide, uh, presiding officer handling the news conference in Texas about just that. This is a clinic in how not to handle media in a sensitive situation. This guy puts on a clinic, and it's a negative one, not a positive one. You, you guys have said that he was barricaded. Can you explain to us how he was barricaded and why you guys cannot breach that door? So I have taken all your questions into consideration. We will be doing updates. We will be doing updates to answer those questions. To answer that question now, sir. What is your name? Shimon Prokopetz from Shimon. CNN. I hear you. Because we've been given a lot of bad information. So why don't you clear all of this up now and explain to us how it is that your officers who are in there for an hour, yes, rescuing people, but yet no one was able to get inside that room. Shimon, we will we will circle back with you. We want to answer all your questions. We want to give you the why. That, that's that's our job. So give us time. I'm taking all your questions. I'm taking them back to talk to the team. Can you tell and, uh, us how the door was barricaded? Look, thank you for being here. Have a We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. I see both sides of this, but I lean more on the one side. When you say you will circle back with you and you're an authority figure, to me, that's code for I'm not answering this because I don't know what exactly to say because we've given you conflicting information. We need time to figure out a better answer. But the answer may not necessarily be the truth. Do you want the truth or do you want an answer at this point in time? I also understand and I hear from retired police officers all the time or even current ones that want to stay anonymous who listen to the show and everybody wants answers fast. And sometimes there's unfair questions. Imagine trying to answer questions on a tragedy like this when you don't have all the information yet. Okay, there is an element of blaming the cops for everything, and it may not be their responsibility. But this does not look like that in this particular case. And this, again, was a masterclass in how not to handle the media. Why was the door to the school unlocked that morning? What's the answer? And was that indeed the case? Why did it take an hour for a SWAT team to assemble and force its way inside? And what's the point of armed police officers if they got there way earlier than the SWAT team and didn't go in? You can't be tight lipped about the casualty count. And as reported last night, a little girl was alive after being shot and died on the way, died in the hospital, which underscores why it matters that police took an hour to go into that particular classroom. There's no excuse for failing to protect school children. Toronto cops did this yesterday. Texas cops could have done a better job, so it appears right now. And I'm happy to walk that back if it soon appears that that's false. But right now, you need to talk about immediate measures that get needed to secure school grounds. And I don't care if it's in Port Union or a town in Texas outside of San Antonio. We've got big problems politically where we get divided on this, where there's a disconnect. People on the left, okay, demand we can't have safety officers in schools. It rattles some of the students. We should be defunding the police. We need fewer police, not more. Do you feel that way in Texas? Did you feel that way outside the Port Union School yesterday? We've got to have a willingness to talk more about these things.
And in, by the way, uh, responsibility goes all different directions with authorities and with parents. Parents should be asking that schools are secure. Parents should be asking what happens if this happens. Parents should be asking, how often are you putting my six-year-old through lockdown drills? Because I'm not sure we should be doing that anymore either. Okay, We've got to ask more questions. There's probably a lot of schools that need upgrades. People choose convenience over safety and security. People lose faith in institutions, whether it's the police, whether it's some elements of the media telling this story instead of that story. And those are important conversations to have. Alan Carter, Farah Nasser, will be anchoring uh, Global News' coverage of the Ontario provincial election for 2022. We'll air that on 640 Toronto. We'll simulcast that uh, with our television friends. Have quite the pregame show all day long. Uh, I'm happy to be joined by somebody representing the NDP as leader for her fourth provincial election. And she's kind enough to take the time to join me now in Toronto today. She is Andrea Horvath. Andrea, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for making the time for our audience. Always my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. You know, when I say that, a fourth election, and you think uh, you're, you're almost 11 years in, um, and, and you, your first election was obviously Dalton McGinty for the Liberals, Tim Hudak for the Conservatives. Um, you've endured. You've been a survivor. You've grown also your party's seats every time, 10 to 17 to 21 uh, to 40. Um, but I know you feel your work's not done here. No, I, I really do feel that my work is not done because what I'm hearing from Ontarians is they, they want some hope that we can actually fix the things that matter the most. And when we look at our healthcare system, uh, what, what COVID laid bare in terms of hospitals, in terms of long-term care and home care, pe- people have watched as, as liberals have cut, as liberals have squeezed hospital budgets and ignored long-term care, and they know conservatives just cut more and privatized more. They want some hope that somebody is actually prepared to step up and fix it. Uh, and that's, that's what I'm offering. I'm offering uh, the opportunity for people to vote for a premier that's always in it for you, not for her buddies, um, not for insiders, but for you to fix the things that matter most. The, the tradition is always uh, we turn out more for federal elections than provincial elections. And when I take calls on this show or I talk to people who, who listen or are really politically engaged, they, they, they don't quite understand that themselves because healthcare and education, two issues that are massively important, and those have obviously showed through during the pandemic, that those are kind of what matters most to the majority of households. Those are really provincial jurisdictions. Of course, there's some federal influence, but that's about the province. And I, I never get why we don't turn out more to vote for premier when compared to voting for prime minister. I never get it. Well, you know what I'm hearing, and I've heard it in the past, and it's, uh, it, it, I think it's because people vote and then they don't see any change. Uh, they, they continue to see the same things over and over, broken promises, things getting harder, life getting tougher for everyday families. Everyday families can't even uh, afford to build a, 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 a decent life anymore in this province. And they continue to see the schools uh, erode, the healthcare system not need their, meet their needs. It's been over 25 years now of liberals and conservatives, and things are getting worse, not better. And so people become cynical. They wonder, will things ever be able to be fixed? And that's the hope I'm trying to bring to people this time. We cannot ignore how, you know, how terrible of a, of a state our schools were in during COVID. We, we can't pretend that we didn't see the horrors that befell our loved ones in long-term care. Uh, we can't ignore that our our hospitals were completely understaffed and incapable uh, of, uh, of weathering the COVID storm, notwithstanding how dedicated our frontline workers are in all of those sectors and so many others. It, it's, time, it's time for a government that works for people again. Uh, we haven't had that in Ontario for a very long time. And I think folks 
need to know that there's hope that we can get that this time. Andrea Horvath's our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. We had a, quite a unique election last time around. Sometimes you've watched politics your whole life. Sometimes the person in power, the incumbent, can can kind of see the train coming. And I do think that was that was Premier Wynne. She even said so two weeks before people went to vote. She basically conceded and said, I know I'm not going to win the election. We don't have quite a scenario like that this year. And I see polls that I see See, maybe even less people voting for Doug Ford, but but potentially winning more seats because your party is going to split more votes with the liberals. Do the numbers you see tell you that? Uh, well, you know, it, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that people are still concerned that they don't want to see Doug Ford with a second uh, mandate. They don't want to see him in the premier chair again. Between six and seven out of ten Ontarians are feeling that way. And that's why I'm saying to folks, you don't have to go back to a disappointing party, that uh, a Liberal Party, that, that we can't trust to fix the things that they broke. This time, people who want our education system fixed and they want our healthcare system fixed, let's come together behind the party that came first or second in 100 out of 124 uh, ridings last time around. 100 out of 124 ridings, the NDP came first or second. So I'm asking those folks, if you have some hope, if you believe we can fix these things, we have to come together uh, behind the only party that has the shot, that has the mm. shot to beat Doug Ford. And that's the NDP this time. Do we have to fix some of the bureaucracy in education? Do we have too much of it? We, we've we obviously taught some with ineffectual methods, inadequate textbooks. And, and I agree, going all the way back to the Harris government, to be on, uh, education has been cut time after time after time, election after election. You got no argument from me there. But do we need to also trim some of the fat that's about bureaucracy, that's about school boards, that's even to give power sort of back to parents to kind of help dictate what should be taught in classrooms and, and take some of that away from either union leaders or school boards? Can we all collaborate better together as a province to figure out how to help our kids more? Well, there's there's no doubt in my mind that, uh, that a solid, uh, healthy public education system is what our kids need and it's what they deserve. Uh, and we, and I, I think that there are always improvements that we can make. Uh, but, but what we do, uh, what we have to always do when we make improvements and, and when we look at, you know, quote unquote restructuring, which is kind of what you described, mm-hmm. it has to be because we, we are doing it to, to make it better for our kids, right? That we're making the education system work for them. Uh, we're coming out of COVID. Look, Doug Ford was firing 10,000 teachers before COVID-19 during the pandemic. He was cutting in education. How do you do that? Our kids have gone through hell and back. Our kids were the, were the, the, the least, uh, uh, you know, attending in school. They were the ones that were out of school the most during the pandemic in the entire continent. This is a problem. Uh, and to actually cut education when kids need the extra supports, when they need to make up academically, when they need to have those caring adults around them to help with the mental health stresses that they've gone through, we have a premier that's cutting education. Who does that? What kind of leadership is that? I hear you on the cuts for education. What I hear from from prospective voters is there is that fear, whether it was Premier Stephen Del Duca or Premier Andrea Horvath, that we'd have missed more school days. We'd have more, had more of an abundance of caution. I got you. The province dithered in December. I thought there should have been more tests. I think it's kind of scandalous that private schools were getting tests that public school could have gotten. 
But when we had Omicron come, Andrea, it, it reframed the argument. We can't be closing schools down for a few cases. We all knew you just went through it yourself. We all knew this was kind of going to blitz us health wise. And we would hope that the vaccines and some abundance of caution protected us. But I, I can't be the only one telling you that the fear was there, that the NDP or liberals would have had schools closed for longer. Well, but in fact, that is not what the evidence bears out. Had the Ford government taken actions more swiftly than they could have and should have, had they protected our kids in the schools, uh, had they made the decisions, uh, you know, more quickly, uh, they, we, we would have not been in this situation. Do you know, in provinces like British Columbia, they literally never closed the restaurants ever. And for the entire pandemic, they didn't close their restaurants. Mr. Ford mishandled the the response to COVID-19. There's just no doubt about it. And it was because of his slowness to react, uh, because he didn't make decisions uh, quickly enough and didn't implement change, didn't want to spend the money. I mean, look at the iron ring around long-term care that we were supposed to have. He pretended about that. He gave people false hope and 4,500 residents of long-term care died from COVID-19. You know, I, I, I think, of course, I think kids could have been in school more. Absolutely, I think so. If the government had spent the money, if they had invested in the things that would have kept them safe, if they had made decisions that prevented the spread of COVID-19, like hiring more PSWs, for example, like getting infection mm-hmm. prevention and control measures in place in our long-term care system, like making sure uh, that our healthcare staff were beefed up and, and that they had the PPE that they needed. You know, I, I don't disagree. We could have had our kids in school much, much longer. But I think the reason we didn't uh, is because of the decisions that Doug Ford made and didn't make. And to your point, British Columbia brought in paid sick days uh, to a greater extent Absolutely. than Ontario did. And, uh, and and I think we, we dropped the ball there. You've got six days left. What are the big issues? In, in, give me 90 seconds on the big issues you want to hit on that, that you worry even shows like mine or, or the media or the television newscasts just aren't talking about enough. What do you want to see more of when you sit down at night after meeting the public, meeting prospective voters, and you want us talking? about you know what greg, greg there's just uh, there's just one thing that keeps coming up and we're talking about healthcare, which is important and education and all of those systems that matter most and affordability but i gotta say every single time no matter what community i'm in every time i get off the bus somebody approaches me about the mental health care uh, system that uh, that isn't there for their kids it isn't there for their so I, I speak to young people it's not there for them it's not there there for their uh, their peers and their classmates. Mental health is huge, and, and our young people are the ones that are bearing the brunt. So that's why we have a plan to bring mental health care into our health care system because mental health pain is just as as, as problematic and, 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 and troubling as physical pain. Pay for mental health care with your OHIP card. Rebuild or actually build the services so that no matter where you are, you can get the help you need. Uh, because we need to support people. People and, have gone through a lot. And your party deserves a lot of credit. And your federal leader has said this. Dental is also health care. And that's a huge priority. Parents know all about this. Um, the idea that I could go get a great surgeon to give me a hip replacement or a knee replacement. And I wouldn't pay out of pocket. But I'd pay for a root canal that's causing me tremendous pain. That's wrong. Like, we've got to level oh, the playing oh, yeah. field with that. No, you're absolutely right. In fact, I met a woman who told me that for for three years she suffered with an abscess tooth that just kept getting worse and worse and worse until she could justify to her own self going to an emergency ward to have the tooth pulled. She waited three years. 
Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather there was an element almost of uh, of co-pays, but that gets into us into two tier healthcare, and you might you and I might not start the weekend off on a positive note if we start <laughs> talking about that. But um, thank you for the time today. I wish you well. I'm glad you are better back on your bus where you belong for the next six days, and I wish you well this weekend campaigning. Thanks so much, Greg. Take care. Have a good weekend. I will. Andrea Horvath, NDP leader. All right, here we go. It's our uh, four for four quiz. Dave Bradley, Sheba Siddiqui, Gord Rennie. Nobody wants, um, you know, a mediocre show to go into the weekend. Nobody wants to do poorly on the four for four quiz going into the weekend. Right, Gord? <laughs> I'm looking I'm, at me for it. I thought I just, well, I can look at you. I, oh, okay. I, I, lean to, I lean towards the right, only with my eyes. Right. I, I don't want to, yeah, I'm trying to play it up the middle right. here. Um, and our quiz today, Sheba mentioned she's going to Top Gun, yeah. right? She said yeah. that. It's not yeah. about Top Gun. Oh. It's not about Kenobi oh. on Disney Plus this weekend okay. for are you Star Wars freaks, of one of which I am, although I skipped those 90s films uh, with like Jar Jar Binks. Oh, and you yeah. referenced him the other day on the show, or Dave did. But Stranger Things Season 4 is oh. on Netflix. Oh. Uh-huh. I am going to so do poorly. It's a, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Dave, when your kids are old enough, Stranger Things, yeah, get them going into season one. It's fun. Have they seen E.T., the extraterrestrial? No, they haven't yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, we were kind of worried that it might be a little bit too scary for the younger ones. So. Yes, wait, wait. I saw it when I was too young, and I'm terrified what of it. What scared you? He's a friendly. He eats oh, M&Ms. He so walks around scary. in a bathrobe. in the neck. suits and stuff like that. Oh, okay. It's all weird. No, He's... for me, it was E.T. himself. Oh, really? He, Why? He looks like a, when you're five, he looks like a monster. That's what you imagine a monster to look like. He's got a glowing finger. (laughs) An extended neck, too. Don't forget about that. Didn't we just do a segment on accepting people based on who they are and not how they look, Sheba? And the extra, like if your neighbor had a glowing finger and and an extending neck, like you'd be like, we have to move. I don't like these new neighbors. They have extending (laughs) necks and they eat Reese's Pieces nonstop. I was terrified of him. Yeah, I just needed to get to know him better. That's That's right. That's right. Let's not not make this a wedge issue about E.T., and create a tension with our uh, our alien neighbors. <laughs> and yet we all forget he has healing powers. He does good. That's true. Very true. So here's a, here's a quiz on Stranger Things. What state is Stranger Things set in? Illinois, Indiana, or Iowa? Mm-hmm. Illinois, Indiana, or Iowa? Gord. <laughs> I've, I've the only thing I know about Stranger Things is the first season was set in the '80s, and that's that's as far as it goes. So I'm gonna say. Indiana. Sheba? Uh, I think it's Indiana, too. I think you're right, Cord. And Dave? I, I think so. In honor of the Indianapolis 500 this weekend, oh, I think it is gosh. Indiana. Who do you like in that race? Oh, it's, uh, there's, it's wide open. It's it's the Indy 500. It can go anyway. It can go anyway. Yeah. It's got to go 500, but yeah, it can oh, yeah, go totally. anyway. And then sometimes they have to run it on Tuesday because it rains on, or Monday because it rains on Sunday. Uh, it is Indiana. Oh. Way to go, everybody. Nice. Way Woo. to go, all. Woo. Who was, you referenced the era uh gord okay who was the u.s president i'm not giving you multiple choice here and the canadian prime minister the year during season one of when stranger things takes place the u.s president and the canadian prime minister so it's very 80s come on there's only so many prime ministers and presidents in the 80s dave let's start with you i need i need both for a win here the combo the u.s and canadian heads of state ronald reagan and brian mulroney maybe okay sheba you want to give it a go that's what I was gonna say, but I don't know about Reagan. I'm on the fence. Fa- who was before Reagan? 
Uh, I could make up a name. Uh, Jimmy Carter was. Okay, no, if he doesn't know, forget it. I'm going to Reagan and Mulroney. I, it's something I don't know. I was going to say like JFK to try and trick you because that's not true. No. Okay, I know you'd, you'd spot that a mile away. Okay, Reagan and who? Uh, and Mulroney. Okay, Gord? Oh. Uh, let's go Let's go. Bush Sr. and Mulroney. Is it li- that later? I can't. Needed? I didn't expect to stump all of you with us. It's Ronald Reagan and Pierre Trudeau. The series starts oh, and is based really? in the spring of 1983. Oh. oh. So that's the year Mulroney was elected yeah, in the fall cool. of 84. Yeah. Simpler times. Hmm. Simpler question coming up now. What was the name of the ice cream shop in the mall? There's a lot of mall culture oh, from mall. the 80s, right? Yes. We all loved our visits to the mall. Shout out to Pickering Town Center, where I go sometimes for to go to Lush and buy my skincare products. Oh, bath bombs? No, no, just no Lush. I'm not. You're calling yeah. me a Lush. I, it's the store's called Lush. Yeah, no, you can get bath bombs there. Oh, I didn't. Oh, 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 sorry. Yes, I thought you said bath moms, and oh. I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Wait, I, I do take a bath every morning. I'm sure, there's some. Don't there, tell but... my wife. Right, with with no other moms. What was the name of the ice cream shop in the mall? And I give you three choices. The Ice Cream Connection, Scoops Ahoy, or Banana Splits with a Z, Z, not a Z, because it's in Indiana, as we documented. Shiva, Ice Cream Connection, Scoops Scoops Ahoy, Ahoy. or Banana Splits? Hands down, Scoops Ahoy. Why are you very confident? That was like a a daily double answer for for Jeopardy. Gord? I liked Scoops Ahoy, too, and that would have been my guess. Dave. Yeah, they dress as sailors at Scoops Ahoy. <laughs> How did you know that? Because <laughs> I've watched it. My kids haven't watched my, it. My youngest son was uh, was Scoops Ahoy Steve uh, one Halloween. He oh, ordered the costume, costume really late. Oh, that's good. That's nice. Now, he only wore it the one time. I said, you should wear that to school like every 10 days. Yeah, just yeah, totally. Kicks and gigs. Especially today. <laughs> and yeah, I don't think I one. said kicks. It would be fine, yeah. yeah. Uh, and finally, it's more off uh, the beaten path of Stranger Things. Name the movie. Matthew Modine is in this. Okay, like 80s uh, actor, Winona Ryder, maybe more for 90s than 80s. I'm going to give you four movies. Name the movie that neither Matthew Modine or Winona Ryder was in. <laughs> Understand? So neither of them are in, in, in the movie that I give you. Okay? okay, one of the four. A Vision Quest, Heathers, St. Elmo's Fire, The Dark Knight Rises. Gord. Um, what was the third one? St. Elmo's Fire. I think it was that one. Okay. Dave? I'm going to say Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises? Yeah. Sheba? I'm (laughs) sure Winona wasn't in the Dark Knight Rises. I don't know about um, the other guy. I'm going to say Dark Knight Rises. It is St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, he works for the win. Matthew Modine played a cop. Yeah. Skeptical of Batman. They often are. Yeah. They didn't want to do anything. Right. Yeah. I don't want to tell you what happens to him in the end. But uh, yeah, the Vision <laughs> Quest was like a wrestling movie. Like yes. Matthew Modine was like a wrestler of some yeah, sort. Madonna Not sang the, the Crazy for thing. You. Yeah. That's right. And Heathers was massively, that introduced Christian Slater to the world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for participating in uh, today's Stranger Things. <laughs> 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 and enjoy season four. Dave and I, I'd love, I wish you could come over and have popcorn and binge it. Because uh, I'm not sure my kids will, they'll, they'll watch it on their own in their room now. Really? Eh? It that's, hurts when that oh, happens, that, man. Yeah, that sucks. We've already been through three, we've been through so much together with this crew. <laughs> uh, will Byers and Winona Ryder playing her 
constantly hysterical helicopter mom. She's great in it, though. She's, She's great, great in it, though. Yeah, she is. Canada was supposed to play. It, it's so exciting, and it's odd, it's an odd year, right? The World Cup, the Champions League final is tomorrow between Liverpool and Real Madrid. It's kind of the end of the domestic season and all the leagues. MLS obviously goes through the summer here. Toronto's at home tomorrow night against Chicago Fire. But Canada was, was going to play some friendlies to gear up for um, a November World Cup, a November-December World Cup in Qatar. Now, they they scheduled a friendly with Canada and Iran, who's in the World Cup, who's in the same group as the USA and England. Um, and uh, and I think they moved quickly on this. And I know some people say politics and sports shouldn't intercede that much. Sometimes it's inevitable. And I actually think this was a real good thing that politicians and policymakers stood up and said, maybe Canada soccer doesn't have this right. And I think great credit to Canada soccer for stepping up yesterday and saying, we didn't get it right. We're going to cancel this game. Uh, there's too much opposition, not just because of one thing or another, but especially or not just because of multiple things, but specifically in January 2020, uh, Canada, so many Canadians were on that Ukrainian passenger plane shot down by the Iranian revolutionary, the Iranian revolutionary guard in January 2020. That was a massive, massive story. And then COVID hit and we, we sort of lost focus on this. And we should never take our eyes off the ball of this in terms of getting justice compensation. And Justin Trudeau had it right. It was, it was a bad idea. And I, I give credit to people who have bad ideas that then realize that idea was bad quickly thereafter. I'm eager to bring on and uh, pleased to bring on uh, Anthony Housefather, who's a liberal MP from Mount Royal and the Parliamentary Secretary of Public Services and Procurement. Anthony, thank you very much for making the time for our audience here in Toronto. I appreciate it. How are you? I agree. Um, do I have a lot of this right about uh, I, I give full credit to people like yourself, like the prime minister for speaking up, saying I'm not sure what the win is here. I always ask that. What's the win here? And I think Canada soccer realized um, there were just far more negatives than positives about this concept of playing the Iranian national team. A hundred percent. Total credit to Canada soccer for listening to people, for mm-hmm. recognizing that they made an error and reversing it. Um, in this case, the idea that we would, you know, so quickly after PS752 was shot down um, and Iran has failed to be transparent, invite the Iranian national team to Canada um, and, according to sources, pay them uh, to be here and, and they claimed that they were making a profit. It, it just seemed so wrong. Um, and, I, you know, and, 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 and given the fact we don't have any diplomatic relations with Iran, it seemed like a very, very strange opponent for Canada to pick. I understand that Iran has a style that's a little bit like Morocco. Mm-hmm. There was a goal of, you know, having a, you know, a prepare, preparing for the World Cup. But, but given the fact that we're 51 in the world, Iran is 22 in the world, there are teams above, you know, above us that would still have an attacking style like Morocco that we could have, we could have, we could have gotten to bring here instead of Iran. Yeah, and I think I know people make that comment that I, I said out of the get go that politics and sport should not should not necessarily intercede. But there's things you can control, Anthony, and things you can't. We can't control oftentimes where the Olympics are. So if we have to go yeah. to China, we have to go. We have to go to Qatar. I don't think we love the idea of even going there and that they're hosting the World Cup before we will, along with the USA and Mexico, in 2026. But this was controllable. This was well within our reach to decide yes or no, and, and we made the right call eventually. You are totally right. I, again, I, I, I emphasize this. I don't think that I was ever saying that if we drew Iran at the World Cup or we drew Iran in an international tournament, we shouldn't play him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I find it reprehensible when Iran chooses not to play Israel in those fora. 
um, you know, and sort of says, oh, no, we're not playing that country. I, I, if, if we draw Iran, we should play him. But there is no reason to invite them here proactively and bring them to Canada. That is an entirely different set of circumstances. It sounded like as well some of the players, um, and I, I give them, uh, again, credit, because I think it's hard to be, uh, to be a voice sometimes and, and stand up when you're not sure how your teammates will feel. There's very much a, a pack mentality when you, you play on a team. But the fact that a few of the players felt uneasy about it and expressed that, I think is only a positive. Look, it's better to have that conversation than to ignore the, the elephant in the room. 100%. Again, total credit to the players who came out and spoke about this because in the end result, uh, we want to all be united behind our team when they go to the World Cup, right? This is mm-hmm. a long time since Canada's been in the World Cup. All Canadians should be proud of our team. All Canadians should be united behind them. And to create controversy like this only hurts the players and it only hurts the fan base. Where are we, Anthony, on um, that I suppose, lack of relationship with Canada and Iran. Where are we with answers, compensation? Um, as we talked about, uh, this happened it, This happened almost two and a half full years ago, and it's, it's very difficult, as you know, in the news cycle. Something grabs all of us, yourself, myself included, and just sort of wraps, a, a, it wraps its tentacles around us for a couple of weeks, and then something else, something else distracts us, whether it's positive or negative. This, I know this is a priority for the Canadian government. I do. What are the next steps? What are the steps that have been taken recently? Um, well, what, uh, we are continuing to work with international partners to hold Iran to account. Uh, the, the problem, as, as you know, is that Iran has failed to be forthcoming. Uh, we want to make sure that victims and their families get assistance. We provided mental health resources. We provided counseling resources. Um, we created a legal subcommittee to coordinate international efforts to hold Iran accountable. Um, but, but, but in the end result, uh, like, the, the coordination group, uh, which is the group of countries, um, just is unable to get Iran to properly uh, negotiate. Um, so uh, we're going to have to resolve this in accordance with international law, um, and, uh, and, and, and that, means, that, that means a legal case, uh, which is really unfortunate, uh, given, given the fact that this could have been resolved had Iran been transparent, forthcoming, and off- offered proper compensation to all the victims and their families. Um, it's one of those things I want to get to as well. Anthony Housefather joining us, MP for Mount Royal uh, on uh, Toronto today. One of the things we hear from people who listen to the show in Quebec once in a while, and they've wanted uh, our show to do more on Bill 96. I know you've weighed in on it. Um, and we hear from people in Quebec that say that this doesn't feel, I, I grew up here, I want to feel comfortable here, I want to feel fully embraced here. And there's people that, that are now, that are transplanted into Quebec that say, this is not why I came here, uh, laws like this. Um, this is a problem, and, and I'm glad the federal government's speaking up. It seems like all the federal parties have weighed in at some point to say, we can't support this. Well, you know, I wish that they had. Um, I, 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 we, we have now come out uh, full-fledged. I've been speaking about this since the bill was first deposited, and I'm really pleased to see the Prime Minister and Minister Lametti's um, sortie uh, the day after the bill was passed, making clear that we're going to intervene in the Bill 21 case at the Supreme Court, which essentially has the same issue, the underlying issue of the preemptive and omnibus use of the notwithstanding clause to override fundamental rights. Um, but I, I kind of feel, as an English-speaking Quebecer, we've been abandoned by most of the political parties in Canada. Um, when all the other parties in the House, for example, last year voted to apply Quebec's French language charter, Bill 101, uh, to federally regulated businesses in Quebec, and only the Liberals voted against, um, we're, we sort of feel, as a community, very, very abandoned, because English-speaking Quebecers, you know, it's not the same community uh, that, that existed 50 years ago. Today, the vast majority of English-speaking Quebecers, like 90% of the younger people are bilingual, 
Um, we've, we try our best to embrace the French fact, to support French, but we still want to live part of our lives in English, certainly in our personal lives, certainly to do contracts in English, get birth certificates in English. Um, and, and this law basically takes away all kinds of government services in English um, from people, and, and, and that doesn't help French at all. It, it just feels, sort of feels like a slap in the face to my community, my friends, my family, the people I represent. Um, and I'm really glad, at least, that now more and more the liberal government has come out, uh, some of the conservative leadership candidates came out, and we feel more supported. And, and, and I appreciate the Canadians outside of Quebec you know, that care about that because we've got to support French outside Quebec. We've got to support the English-speaking community in Quebec, too. I've got under a minute here, but you spotted as well. There are some legal um, scholars and experts that, that think it may even violate international law, that you could go to the United Kingdom. Not everybody speaks English in the United Kingdom. Not everybody speaks French in Paris. These are what's caught. This makes the cosmopolitan nature of our society. These are melting pot uh, countries. Canada is, is as strong a melting pot country as anywhere, uh, and it might even violate both Canadian and, and Quebec provincial law. Well, I mean, I think it certainly overrides the rights in both the Quebec and Canadian charters. So I think there's a recognition, uh, even if the government of Quebec doesn't say it, that they're violating rights. Um, and what happened the last time, uh, going back to 1989, if you can remember, uh, I remember as a student, I was like furious Quebec banned English on commercial signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used the notwithstanding clause, so there was no domestic remedy. Um, it went through the courts. They couldn't do anything in Canada. They went to the UN uh, civil. They, they, they filed a complaint uh, under a, as a violation of the UN civil and political uh, convention, um, and got and, and the UN uh, delivered a judgment saying that Canada was in default of its obligations because of that bill. Um, and they and they took away the use of the notwithstanding clause in 1994. So if they exhaust domestic remedies, they could go internationally like they did in, 19, in the 1990s about Bill 178. Anthony, thanks for uh, weighing in on, on these important issues. It was great having you on and, and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Let's do this again. I appreciate the time and have a great Thanks, weekend. Greg. Have a great day. You bet. Anthony Housefathers, the MP for Mount Royal in Montreal, a heavily, uh, predominantly English-speaking uh, riding in Quebec. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. As always, hope you have a great weekend. Please join us Monday, 5.30 to 9 for our live show, which you can catch on the Radio Player Canada app or at 640toronto.com or right there on your radio. Thanks so much again for listening.